And welcome to the Green Majority here on CUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful, one of our wonderful radio syndicates across the country. I believe there's even one in the States. Somehow that's said every single episode, and still it's always tripped over the line. I know, it's amazing. Uh, and also on our podcast, which can be found on greenmajority.ca. I am Stefan Hostetter, your host today. I'm in studio with Dave Hostetter. It's like we're always surprised that we're on the ra- on a radio show. <laughs> well, this, yeah, I think it's always a bit of a, a bit of a surprise. It's, it's, it is such a privilege to be on the radio. And it's 2019. Exactly, it is. Mm-hmm. It is a brand new year. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, and we are continuing a little bit of our series uh, about sort of big ideas for 2019 later in the show, mm. uh, but we're we're going to sort of have a I would say still on theme. Uh, oh, of course, yes. Uh, I'd like to first point out that uh, I was misled by you, Stefan Hostetter. And how was that? Because you told me that it was going to be a very cold winter. Ah. And I walked here, and you know what happened to me, Stefan? What? I was sweating. Well, okay. That's what happened to me on my way here. I'm. Just... I was all set for a nice, nice, cold, buckle down kind of season. And that's not what you got. Well, I would. I was going by. Let me down. That's true. I was going by what the fa- farmers almanac had to say. Mm. So I was. I was. I was listening to the farmers. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yes, we. Our show uh, is. We will have uh, two guests in the second and end of the show. Uh, the, our middle section uh, will be uh, a consistent uh, repeat guest about EV vehicles, Matthew Klippenstein, uh, who we interviewed over the break. Uh, that was the Sarah and that interview, and, and they'll co- well, they'll come in the halfway point, and then at the end of the show, uh, we will have a a representative, Sami Saeed from Fresh Rents, uh, talking about both uh, what one can do to rent fashion in the city, uh, and then also sort of how uh, her big idea for 2019 uh, is is meditation. Uh, and so I'll sort of leave that there, and you'll hear more at the end of the show. But for right now, uh, we are getting somewhat back on the news train, uh, but more of still like a wrap-up of, of maybe some of the more positive, uplifting thoughts uh, that existed uh, in, in, in 2018. Uh, try to give us a, a boost that I feel like is needed at oh. this point. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're introducing it in the wrong way. All right. Well, let's, uh, <laughs> this is I, the, 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 story, the story that we are covering is called Good News for 2019, but uh, yeah, let's find well, out. Okay. Uh, I guess you pulled out the more depressing parts. So <laughs> here we go, Dave. What do we have? What's the news? Well, I'm going to start wrapping up uh, the COP24 thing. So the um, 24th Annual Conference of Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change wrapped up this past month in mid-December ostensibly achieving the stated goal of coming up with a strategy for holding countries measurably accountable for upholding their Paris Agreement targets to keep global warming below 2 degrees Celsius. The rulebook will help hold countries to their pledges as the agreement begins to be globally implemented starting in 2020. All participating countries will now have to report their emissions progress every two years after 2024. The conference did not, however, see all countries welcome the IPCC report, which showed that 1.5 degrees Celsius should be the agreed-upon target rather than the 2 degrees Celsius, since the latter is seen, now seen by scientists as too risky. As well, our, as our targets currently stand, even in this upgraded scenario of measurable outcomes, we are headed for around 3 degrees Celsius of global warming, which scientists predict will spell worldwide disaster. Our net global emissions have also begun rising again after leveling off for a few years. And now, The Guardian has published an article by Fiona Harvey called Momentum is Growing, Reasons to be Hopeful about the Environment in 2019, which Stefan was hoping would be incredibly uplifting. Uh, that was my goal, yes. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, I, I, see what you, I feel I see what you mean. I feel well, like the it's piece not... begins by highlighting the worrying trends of the past year. 
which was the fourth hottest year on record uh, and saw extreme heat waves spread over the top half of the globe, as well as record-setting wildfires, floods, typhoons, droughts, and hurricanes. Indeed, as we mentioned in the summer, it was so hot and dry for such a long, prolonged period that UK farmers were made to carry fire extinguishers in case a machine caught a rock and caused a spark. Then came the infamous hothouse earth steady, which predicted unimaginable disaster, possibly even stemming from just two degrees Celsius of global warming, and the revelation that we may only have 12 years to ensure the future of civilized human life on the planet. But Harvey insists that 2019 could indeed be a year of good news. She states, quote, Public opinion is mobilizing around the world, and politicians and businesses are paying attention. There will be a series of high-profile events that will engage the public and governments and may provide a better way forward than was managed last year. Chief among them is the promise of Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, to hold a summit for world leaders that will require them to face up to the dangers of climate change head-on. Guterres is uncompromising, warning that Poland... Uh, warning in Poland that it would be immoral and suicidal not to take firm and urgent action commensurate with the scale of the problem. Harvey also pointed out that the French President Emmanuel Macron is planning a one-world summit in the summer to persuade businesses to take a leading role in tackling climate change, that the price of renewable energy technologies becoming competitive with fossil fuels, that many big investors are taking money out of fossil fuel stocks, that vegans are popping up all over the place, and that civil society campaigns around the world are making climate change a major issue everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, some, I would, I, I feel like the, those definitely are a, maybe more, how do you say, um, fluffy mm. successes. You know, mm. it's not, it, 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 2018 was certainly not a year of, of, of hard and fast, you know, number successes. Well, um, I mean, you, is, Manu, is Emmanuel Macron going to rally the entire business community and then we're all going to just uh, sit happily by as the businesses save us? Well, obviously not. I feel like I feel like uh, if anything, 2018 has taught us the 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 foolishness of presuming Emmanuel Macron is our is our savior, uh, given that he yeah. Uh, yeah. remains going so well remains somewhat stewed in the in the in the protests that are that are still it's ongoing. Not going to that well for him. No, exactly. Um, but I do think I, I, I think I heard, I think I spoke on this briefly at the end of, of last year, and I want to come back to it briefly because I do think the the one part of it about this that I am somewhat um, excited about is the the number of different ways. Uh, uh, that we're experiencing um, shift a, a, a shift towards more uh, a, a realization that climate change is is more important. So, I, I know ex an example of this would be um, the fact that you know with uh, with the Democrats taking over the House, which officially happened yesterday, uh, or at least they're all sworn in yesterday. The the one of the major things that that they are saying is that they the tackling climate change is a, is a serious is a serious part of their mandate, and that. Uh, and that this term Green New Deal has successfully, you know, entered the lexicon mm -hmm. uh, to the extent where the one of the very first and the, currently the only the, the only real front runner who's uh, who's announced that they're at least thinking about running in 2020 uh, and Elizabeth Warren has endorsed. Uh, or has ha has agreed to the co the concept of a green new deal, mm. and so and so that's a, that's important to note. You know that this is that we're not we're no longer thinking about the environment or climate change as a uh, as as sort of a as a patchwork, and also that there, that we are seeing this shift towards a much more um, holistic approach. What do you mean as a patchwork? 
Uh, and so the the way that say Obama handled climate change was a you know was a, a tweak here a tweak there he couldn't get any real legislation passed and so he used the EPA a lot by making say CO two a, a a pollutant that could be regulated um, you know his clean coal plan uh, which was a bunch of sort of little pieces but it wasn't sort of a it wasn't the 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 culture shift that was required mm. um, whereas I think the Green New Deal and and the work that you're sort of seeing put forward. Um, uh, right now is much more a, a true culture shift that, that, that actually has the capacity potentially to be this sort of galvanizing force. Um, and, and, and you're, and you're seeing this sort of, and, and what, and this is where this is happening and why this is happening is that you're seeing a much, uh, much more diversified, um, push from civil society, uh, and especially young people specifically to, um, you know, to, to get these types of, mandates into into politicians ears you know uh, the sunrise movement obviously in the united states has been given a lot of credit for for galvanizing some of the work around the green new deal um the we, we here in canada uh we have uh we have power shift coming up which has been an ongoing uh, work that tries to bring young people together uh to to work on this as well and that ha that's happening on on february 14th to the 18th in ottawa so power shift is <clears throat> what is power shift it's it's a it's a it's a convergence of uh of of young people across this land to build a powerful inter and, and intersectional youth climate justice movement this is Canadian. It's Canadian, yes, uh, and it's been happening for 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 many for many years. Uh, the, the weird fact is that Lead Now, in some ways, came out of Power Shift many years ago. Okay, uh, and it, it's it's a it's a shift. It brings it's 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 been something. It's been something that has been bringing young people together on climate for quite some time. Youth conference. Youth conferences, exactly. Okay, uh, and then so this year's one is is, is it's in Ottawa, um, and and it's. You know, it's trying to create that sort of, and you already see it. You, you, what's interesting about this right now is that you're sort of, we're getting to see, especially if you're paying some attention, youth across uh, across Canada make, uh, you know, working together and in making a push. You know, we saw that when we were able to call into uh, to to the to a actual minister's office where a protest was going, uh, you know, in December. That mm -hmm. this this was not just one thing. It was a, it was a diverse set of groups across Canada. All working, all doing, all working on together on a, one similar action, but it wasn't sort of being, you know, it was still being led by sort of more of a broad coalition. And I think the sort of broad coalition is sort of one one of the things that is giving me hope uh, for the the for children the occupying the halls of power. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, and and forcing you know true to action. You know, I think twenty nineteen we're going to see a federal election uh, in in which we already have the conservative approach is basically going to be trying to vilify a price on carbon um, as much as possible without giving any actual solutions. And and so I think you need to find we need to find a way to shift the conversation uh, to what. You know, to, to, to right now, Trudeau and the Liberal government gets to sort of hang out and be like, look, we're the ones actually doing something because they're only the, they're only being viewed uh, along with the conservative government, which is which is basically it's attacking them for any action they do at all about climate change. And so I think that we do need some movement uh, to to actually shift that sort of, you know, uh, the policy wonks call it Overton window um, over to window Overton window. Overton uh, window. Yeah, it's it's about it's it's it's, it's a term about how often you're able to uh the range of ideas that are tolerated in public discourse and so if it's it shifts depending on how much people are doing and so the fact that green new deal is now entering a lexicon of say of, of actual people who now have power is sort of a signal that that there's been a shift of the overton window in the united states 
Now, whether or not that would get past the Senate uh, is, a, is sort of would be a, a question of whether or not how far it's really come. But the fact that it's in the conversation, at least, is important. Um, but I, but we do actually have we we are we were planning on having this sort of first segment a little shorter uh, because we wanted to make sure we have a sort of long interview uh, with Kubenstein about again another good thing that's happening which is sort of uh, this this uh, ongoing push towards EV vehicles and some bunch of news that he sort of pulls out from Kubenstein that. is an electric vehicle expert yes exactly. And you spoke with Saren about electric vehicles. Exactly, the yes. market. Yeah, uh, including uh, some of the stuff that BC was doing because they just had their, you know, they said released their new plan uh, and, and some other stuff like that. Mm. And so we're going to go to that uh, right now, uh, and then we'll come back uh, to, uh, to a brief conversation maybe, uh, and then we'll get to, uh, to fresh rents and renting your clothes. Uh, all on this, all on CIUT 89.5 FM, uh, the San Diego City. <laughs> <laughs> See, look, I nailed that one. I nailed that one. Uh, but uh, but right now, uh, to the music break, uh, Megan, our tech, what are we listening to today? With eyes open, I was half in the dream, and as real as it seemed, it wasn't right. And welcome back to the that was very nice. That was very nice. Yes, we're here on CIUT eight nine point five FM or on one or one of our wonderful radio syndicates uh, across the country, or perhaps on our podcast, which we found at GreenMajority.ca. Uh, if you're just tuning in, we are about to go to a recorded interview uh, just just a couple days ago with Matthew Klippenstein. Uh, it was over the break uh, that Sarah and Kester conducted, uh, and it's all about EV vehicles and and hopefully some good news for mm. for twenty nineteen. That's what we're looking for. Uh, so let's go to that. <laughs> All right, welcome to Saren's only interview in the uh, the pre-record holiday pre-record season. But I have a great guest, so I don't feel underrepresented. My guest today is a long-standing uh, um, guest, a correspondent with the program, Matthew Klippenstein, who is uh, I'm going to say one of the foremost EV experts in Canada. Is that too much, Matthew? Um, I would say so, but uh, if I had a marketing person, I'm sure they would be fine with it. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. So playing the role of your marketing person, uh, you have done us the service of coming on our program and correcting, uh, at first, a couple of, uh, correcting a couple mistakes you, I think you heard us make. I think it was why you originally reached out to us. Since then, you've simply been happy to, I've been happy to, to simply leave that expertise to you. So it's been great to have you. Um, and we've got you in now for part of our holiday special. So we want to have what we usually do, which is a bit of a check-in first. But as we're doing our Big Ideas for 2019 uh, series. I'm also going to get you in a few minutes uh, just to make something up because I didn't really warn you about that. So we're going to, as we're yeah, talking, right. now, try and develop something. So we'll do our sure. usual touch off, which is your primary focus as a, as a journalist is to watch the EV market, particularly in Canada, uh, and you collect a lot of data. Let's just start with the overview. Where are we at? Sure. So we are going to end uh, 2018 in Canada with plug-in electric vehicles being about 2.2, maybe maybe perhaps a bit higher than that market share, 2% market share. You know, it's, it's not just for milk every, uh, anymore, people. Uh, and for the first time ever, uh, our market share of plug-in electric vehicles will be higher than the United States, which is pretty cool. Mm. I mean, we like to, uh, you know, we like to uh, prod our larger, uh, more geopolitically powered neighbor whenever we can. And finally, we will have a chance to... Um, uh, to do so with respect to uh, cleaner vehicles as well, which is nice. Mm -hmm. um, we will uh, now, a lot of the growth this year has come not just from the Tesla Model 3, but a lot of other vehicles which have come into the market. And we are seeing a kind of a slow wave uh, coming up of, uh, of other uh, electric vehicle offerings, which is fantastic. 
Uh, I think I've mentioned before that I had really big high hopes for 2020, 2021, which is when uh, Ford is expected to introduce its plug-in hybrid truck because uh, the Ford F-150 has been the best-selling vehicle in Canada for like, you know, since Don Cherry was young, basically. So, um, so uh, big opportunity for growth here. There is a downer in the sense that uh, Doug Ford canceled the uh, admittedly quite generous um, electric vehicle uh, policy support package, which offered rebates of uh, up to $14,000 on uh, plug-in electric vehicles. However, BC having now announced a ZEV mandate, basically a, a quota, that uh, a, a gradually rising quota that automakers have to sell of zero-emission vehicles, um, that should hopefully help take up the slack. Quebec already has one. BC has now one-upped them. Perhaps one uh, hope that we can have for 2019 is that uh, after BC's very aggressive, uh, fairly well um, sort of categorized climate plan has come out, then Quebec will try to one-up BC and we'll get this kind of constructive competition between jurisdictions. Right, and it's... um what, one of the friendly things that we have, sort of, uh, <clears throat> have in Canada is, is the what is hopefully maintains to be a friendly rivalry. It has not been of late, more so than than usual. Uh, a little bit tumultuous, of course. We've been reporting on the, uh, the what what is currently still unknown will be the end result of an attempt at a national co- uh, climate plan, that sort of thing. Are you seeing what we're experiencing right now, with at least with respect to federal politics and how that bleeds into provincial politics? I want to ask you to comment on that, but just with that as the backdrop of, uh, say, the last uh, year with that in mind, do you, do you think these types of conversations uh, that Canadians are having on all these important issues, uh, whether or not they're coming to that conversation because they're concerned about climate change, are you seeing any impact? Would you uh, uh, hypothesize any impact or are people just buying the car they want? I think people are buying the car they want. Ultimately, you know, if you're spending that much money for a brand new car, and um, I mean, I don't think we got our, I was almost 40 when I bought uh, our current vehicle, a plug-in hybrid. Uh, if you're spending that much money, you're probably going to go for the car that you want. Uh, the good, the good, uh, the, the tailwind that we have is that a greater number of those vehicles coming on the market are, uh, are zero emission vehicles or clean uh, plug-in electric vehicles. One day there'll be some fuel cell vehicles as well. Um, and the headwind is that um, there's only so many people who live in in single-family housing. You know, for, for our future, we need to have more dense urban cores. That will make it a little bit more challenging uh, for people to charge at home if they have to get permission from the strata, they have to spend more money to do uh, all that uh, wiring. That's actually what I do by day at uh, Plug-in BC, uh, uh, a BC charity, uh, non-profit rather. We oversee electric vehicle infrastructure funding for the province. And uh, the hope is that between the, uh, the the plug-in electric vehicles and the fuel cell vehicles, we'll have a bit of a pincher movement on uh, fossil fuel demand. And uh, we have seen uh, that in the light-duty vehicle, like the passenger vehicle segment, we are starting to see a bit of a momentum for uh, electric trucks, uh, delivery vehicles, that kind of thing. Uh, Semi trucks uh, will come along as well, and there have already been successful uh, deployments of uh, hydrogen trains in Europe. And so, um, basically, everywhere we can sort of slice a little little uh, slice of bread off the loaf of fossil fuel demand, you know, so much the better for us. 
Uh, this is certainly out of my uh, wheelhouse, Matthew, and it potentially is out of yours. So uh, if so, I'll just cut this question. But, <laughs> uh, I'm wondering, um, I probably won't. Um, I'm, I'm wondering about, like, do you know anything about the procurement cycles of like larger companies? So what I'm getting at is like, is there, would you know of any, and, and if you would, is there any impact of like, say, you know, McDonald's has say, I don't know, I'm just making up a number, but like, you know, a fleet of a million trucks on, on North American roads are, you know, and when they go to make those purchases, purchasing decisions are you aware of anything like that where like maybe large companies replacing vast fleets would actually impact uh where car manufacturers are going like do you know anything about that relationship at all yes yeah, so um what you're talking about uh, for like delivery vehicles or uh, corporate fleets mm-hmm. um now those tend to be completely dominated by total cost of ownership you know if someone can sell you something that saves you a little bit of money relative to what you're currently using you will switch over to that uh, Anheuser-Busch, the, the big beer company, did announce that they would be uh, purchasing um, up to 800 of these heavy-duty fuel cell trucks from Nikola Motor, uh, a fuel cell company named after the other name of Nikola Tesla, of Tesla Motors fame. Um, and uh, up here in Canada, Loblaws has uh, committed to um, purchasing some uh, trucks, you know, some uh, sort of class 7, I think, uh, grocery delivery trucks from BYD, a Chinese company, as well as from Tesla. So there is motion on the corporate side. The hope is that basically once uh, once someone plants their flag and says, you know, I'm doing this, distinguishes themselves from the competition, then the other grocery chains, maybe a, maybe a Costco or uh, depending where you live, maybe a Save-On Foods or a Sobeys, I think is pretty big in parts of Canada, uh, then they'll have to match that and perhaps exceed that in an effort to one-up their competition. Right. Um, that is a little bit of a premium you're paying now in terms of the brand because the, the total cost of ownership probably is still a little bit higher in many cases with trucks. But uh, as the batteries get cheaper, that won't just be a uh, sort of a marketing or do the right thing decision. It'll be a we want to save money competition uh, uh, consideration, which is exactly where we want to be. And I, I'm sort of wondering, I feel like this is something you you probably wouldn't know, but I was sort of getting, like, I just sort of was curious, I guess, if there was like, you know, not that you would know of these conversations, but like, you know, is there, do you think, do you speculate that there's like conversations where McDonald's might go to Ford and say, look, you know, over the next eight years, we're going to be replacing 50,000 trucks. You know, what are you going to do? What do you got for us? So as, or are they lining up at the dealership like everybody else? Oh, uh, no, there are definitely, uh, I'm sure there are conversations going, um, um, Loblaws would not have uh, announced that deal with BYD if it didn't have such conversations. Um, now, the thing to remember is that even the McDonald's is not going to have 50,000 trucks. They might have like 5,000 or something like that. They will still use a lot of independent contractors. Um, but it is notable that uh, we are getting pressure from consumer-facing companies who want to make sure they're, you know, they're being at least morally a little bit better than their competition who are making sure that manufacturers know, you know, we want, we want other options. And, um, so that is, that is the good place that we're at now. We just have to keep pushing to, um, to, uh, displace, uh, ever more, uh, fossil fuel use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been, it's the the vehicle industry has been always, I think, a little bit of an outlier on that. But there is sort of a general, you know, social re- reaction with companies uh, and marketing where. <clears throat> 
you know, we'll see, well, they're, they'll put out, uh, you know, green was, was sort of sexy for a while or like, you know, just having green on the box was super sexy for a while. And then for a while that was selling. Right. And then it, but it didn't take very long before people go, you know, before there was like this cottage industry boom of people criticizing those reports and saying, Hey, well, you can't try. So then there, so I feel like we've gone through all these iterations now where it's sort of, you know, it's, we're, we're at a place now where someone will walk into say, and I'm sorry to keep using all these examples. I'm just using sort of big names that people will be familiar with. Uh, but like, you know, people will walk into their Starbucks and say, and see, you know, fair trade coffee in the cup that the cup is made of recycled, uh, paper, but then, you know, but then they're wondering to themselves, well, what does your truck drive on? Are you still using fossil fuels? And, and it's interesting because that same exact person, the same person might've gone into a different store that didn't have any environmental branding and never thought about it. I was wondering right. if you, if you agree with that hypothesis and if you had any comment. Uh, I think that um, companies, the larger companies, uh, the giant ones who are able to spend time worrying about these things, definitely are uh, worried and concerned about being targeted or singled out by uh, advocacy groups who are pointing out the, the dirty laundry that they have. Um, I guess just to use that Starbucks example, um, the day that the, BC, the Clean BC Climate Plan was announced, uh, my colleagues and I went to see the announcement. On the way back to the office, we stopped at an A&W. Uh, first off, they had that uh, Beyond Meat burger, which they sold out of. Uh, oh, did you try? News. Did you try? I did try one. Uh, not not on that day, but I had tried one in the summer. I hadn't gone to A&W in years, but I was like, well, we'll give this a shot. We, we, I'm uh, sorry to interrupt plan. your answer, but we've actually never spoken to someone who ate one. Can you quickly just interrupt really? yourself and to review the burger, <laughs> please? Can I get you to sure. do that? Sure. Okay, well, so here's the thing. So I haven't eaten beef in like 20 six years. I mean, I have occasionally tried, you know, when I'm out with friends, but I, I can't eat more than a couple of bites of some sort of weird oiliness. I, I don't like the look or texture of ground beef. It just, it's, my body has gotten used to other things. Uh, but in terms of what I figure a burger must taste like, I mean, it had kind of like the right texture, kind of bland. I do prefer other veggie patties, uh, but it was, a, you know, it was, a, it was a palatable burger. Now, the reason that we went there on the way back is that A&W recently, at least in Vancouver, started to use uh, cardboard straw as opposed to the plastic one. Mm. And so it was just kind of a novelty for us. Well, you know, we'll, uh, we'll check out what these cardboard straws are like. Uh, they are perfectly adequate. I mean, I don't judge a uh, restaurant by the, the quality of their straws, but I guess the material of the straw, I mean, I would certainly be, uh, if, if given a choice, I would certainly... Uh, offer my funding to a company which has adopted a more benign option you know mm -hmm. not like i'm a i'm a connoisseur of pop it's just <laughs> well i didn't realize there was this option now so so here i guess with anw i don't own any stock or do any business with them but uh, there's a case now where i've had a couple little points in the past few months where it's like hey they seem to be uh, you know doing something and i will be looking forward to seeing if they have any electric truck announcements or or other sort of pro-social or, you know, less environmentally malign uh, initiatives that they're coming out with because uh, they, they seem to distinguish themselves. One trend I've sort of, just before we get back to the car stuff, one of the trends I've seen with that is that I, f I feel like right now in a, in a number of markets that companies are really scrambling to sort of figure out where the public 
is out on a number of issues because they, there's been sort of, there was that sort of, Hey, green was really sexy. As I was just saying, you know, it was sexy and then people got really skeptical and then now it's still skeptic, but people are saying, and they're trying to figure out sort of how to make it work. And I think ultimately I, I don't think they're there yet. These larger corporations, cause they move very slowly. Um, but I feel like they're starting to figure out that it's actually better to just like, which I've always thought, but I think they're figuring out that it's essentially it's, it's just better to be honest. Shocking, shockingly, like, you know, if they're not perfect, don't claim that you are. And people will right. cut you more of a break than if you try and put a green color on your box for the new model or something. Right. And I feel, I feel like that's this really applying to cars too, where I, I, it, I don't think it's that I don't think we're ever going to get to a day and I don't think we're there. Or even some Canadians say, you know, if, if it weren't for this vehicle that somebody was using in their company or this car company, you know, offering this type of car, I'm going to hate them. But they do hate them when they come out and say, this car solves climate change. That's what people upsets people. And it's just right. amusing to me that it's taken them so long to figure out that if you just stop trying to trick people, they like you. <laughs> that's right. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a lesson that uh, Volkswagen could have learned uh, much more cheaply over the course of many years. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing with respect to car companies, and uh, you know they won't willingly admit it, but uh, the, the car company's main concern is that legislation comes in right away that they can't prepare for. So BC has announced that as of 2040, you can only sell zero-emission vehicles. Now, the province hasn't defined that, but it's going to be battery electric vehicles, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, and maybe plug-in hybrid vehicles. Uh, 2040 is far enough away that car companies can manage that. Uh, 30% is as by 2030 is still far enough away that they can kind of do their product planning. Uh, it's Their concern is, you know, what if next year there's a requirement? Well, it takes five years to develop a car, and they can't actually do that planning unless their targets are at least five years out. So that is, um, that is something that's worth considering. Uh, when you turn a big boat around, it can have a huge impact, and that's wonderful. It just does take a while to turn that boat around, and the captain doesn't like I guess like the Titanic dude doesn't like getting instructions at the last moment. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you go through a few captains before you successfully turn That's the ship. That's also true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just ask Volkswagen, man. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> trouble breathing today. I apologize. <clears throat> sure. <clears throat> So um, we've got we've got a few minutes left here. We're not we're not we're on a nice relaxed pace here, uh, Matthew. And again, we we appreciate your time. Uh, I'd like to um, shift you uh, slightly. Now. We can come back, or we can keep referring to some numbers and, and policy and whatnot. But I'd like you I'd like to get you to transition into some sort of a big idea proposal, and we can we can workshop it here together if you'd like some help. Uh, but basically, I want to I want to hear from you just something that you think would be impactful. It does not have to be realistic, but it can. Uh, what are you thinking about right now? Just like what's on your mind as far as like what Canada needs to solve these types of problems or any problem? Right. So now it's not going to come in time for Christmas, but the actual details on BC's climate plan are going to come out by about Easter of next year. It'll come out in the spring with the budget. And I would call this a big idea, um, an actual, actually budgeted, actually modeled out climate plan, because to my knowledge, this is the first time any government uh, in, in uh, Canada, provincial or federal at least, has actually said, this is kind of, we are, we are going to reduce emissions by this much. These are the expected amounts that we're going to reduce emissions by, by taking these specific actions. And I think there's an element of refreshingness that they only got 75% of the way there. Mm -hmm. It was like, uh, you know, we're not going to fudge the numbers. Uh, we might have slightly optimistic assumptions, but this is as far as we've gotten. Still have work to go. 
uh, if this if they were seventy five percent of the way to a twenty twenty target, yeah, that'd be kind of atrocious. But this is twenty thirty; they still have a couple years to you know, tweak the policies and stuff. So I'm hopeful that not just in other provinces, but even California, because they have some uh, they're they're claiming or boasting at least that they're going to have some aggressive climate policies. That we see more of these actually, you know, do the math. Uh, kinds of policy uh, approaches. And uh, I think the uh, great majority of listeners um, probably consider ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, um, as a bit of a four-letter word. That <laughs> is, four-letter acronym. Accurate. Uh, but uh, those guys are, yeah, <laughs> those guys are well known for writing the draft legislation that Republicans use uh, on the right wing in the United States. And the really interesting thing here with the BC Climate Plan is that um, if you take all that negative energy that we you know, direct at Alec and imagine what if environmental NGOs were doing that, mm-hmm. uh, because that is in large effect what, what this is. Uh, the Pembina Institute had been doing a lot of work on green buildings, published a report uh, late last year, or maybe it was earlier this year, and so the policies that the basic government has put in place are largely modeled on what Pembina did. Similarly, at Simon Fraser University, one of their sustainable transport teams had done a wealth of modeling based on how can we get transportation emissions down. They published a report, I think this one was at the end of last year, and that's now integrated into the provincial plan. So uh, I can't really speak to the industrial emissions reductions. I'm sure that there were you know, uh, important groups um, consulted there, including industry, to make sure they don't all run away. Um, but there's this this very cool moment where um, uh, the public sector is actually listening to the ENGO side as opposed to the uh, business lobby side. Stop the presses. Let's get aggressive. <laughs> so, so my big idea and big hope would be that uh, you know we can get this thing, you know, reproduced in other provinces, other states, other jurisdictions. So, it's, it's it's a first time for me. You know, I'm a I'm a uh, realistically budgeted climate policy virgin, as it were. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the the key will be in the spring, where the province actually enumerates all the specific measures, all the details, and so um, uh, so that's the that's the big Easter present coming up for us. Well, maybe Matthew, we'll, if you if we can ask you, uh, beg your forgiveness to ask you to put on a second hat. Maybe you'll maybe we'll come back in the new year and tell us how that policy is working. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> it is always a pleasure to have you, uh, Matthew, and I don't want to let you go before I give you an opportunity to promote yourself. Oh, uh, sure. Well, thanks. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm Matthew Kippenstein. I'm a professional engineer. I've been tracking Canadian electric vehicle sales for the past six years or so. Kind of a fun uh, side interest that grew into a bit of a hobby and now kind of a bit more than a hobby, but not quite a full-time job. And... Um, so I've put up a website at CanadaEVSales.com. Uh, I had a little bit of a tiff with one of the data providers where we're trying to work through what data I'm allowed to share and so forth. But I hope to have that back up in the next uh, few weeks, uh, the specific spreadsheet, which tells you who sold, how much of what, where, um, each month. And um, again, uh, I do uh, some work at uh, Plugin BC. That's uh, by day. We work on electric vehicle infrastructure in condos, apartments, townhouses. Uh, if you guys have questions about doing, uh, about helping to deploy those in your own buildings, you know, send us an email at info at pluginbc.ca and we can share our uh, insights. And uh, you can find me tweeting 
uh, often um, not in a non-complimentary way at Elon Musk, about <laughs> Elon Musk, rather, uh, at, uh, at Electron.com, com with two M's, like communications. All right. We'll, we'll get that on the website, and I'll, I'll additionally promote that it might actually be worth it following you on Twitter just for that purpose. For that purpose exclusively is worth the <laughs> price of admission. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your time. As always, Matthew, we'll talk to you again in the new year. All right. You're welcome. Back to soon. And welcome back to the Green Majority here on CAOT 89.5 FM, or one of our wonderful radio syndicates across the country, or perhaps on our podcast, which of course can be found on greenmajority.ca, where you can also find a a couple links to the uh, to to both uh, Matt Matt Klippenstein and his work, as well as uh, as well as Fresh Rents, who we're about to hear from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah, so this is the second last uh, interview that we recorded over over the break about big ideas for twenty nineteen. We'll have one more uh, from uh, the Council of Canadians probably next week. Uh, if not the week after, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, that music break, uh, once again, music uh, always chosen by our excellent tech Megan, uh, was was Map of, was the band name, and the song was Nimbin. Is that is that correct? We don't know. It's one of the, it's either, either the band was Nimbin and that was Map of, or <laughs> the other way around. I'm getting a sense that it was the other way around. Um, so that was Map of. Uh, and Map, if you're looking for them, is spelled interestingly, uh, M-A-P-P-E. There you go. Uh, but yes, we are back uh, ready for uh, another interview uh, with Sammy Asaid from Fresh Rents. Uh, so we'll go to that and then we'll have a quick chat right at the end of the end of the show before going off. But uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Here is Samia. Joining us now is Sammy Asaid from Fresh Rents. Uh, when the, your big idea is not exactly related to Fresh Rents, but I want to start there. Uh, what does Fresh Rents do? Yeah. Hi, guys. Hello. So Fresh Rents, we basically have a fashion library. It's called the Fresh Fashion Library. And we are your neighborhood hub where you can come in, lend or borrow fashion items so that you're not consuming mindlessly and you're not making purchases that you might only wear once. And then they end up in in landfill and and the waste. So our mission really is to maximize the use of each garment so that we can reduce textile waste. Man, it's always amazing um, to watch as organizations get better at their immediate pitch. You know, it's like, have you ever asked someone uh, who does their PhD uh, when they start, it takes them 45 minutes to explain. And when when they're near the end, they're like, it's this. And you're like, oh, okay. And so I feel like you've gotten that exactly down. Oh, thank you. But your your big idea sort of is actually uh, sort of still remains on consumption, but sort of changes. So what's your your big idea for 2019? Yeah, so I think um, really the last, the two passions that I've sort of developed over the last few years have been meditation. I've really gotten into that and environmental sustainability. And I think for me personally, meditation has really allowed me to be much more mindful and aware of how I'm consuming. Because I think a lot of us feel that, you know, consumption equals living abundantly, but meditation can really change how you perceive consumption and your view on what living life abundantly truly means. And so what I really want to do is marry those two passions of mine and almost host yoga or meditation sessions that promote um, education around environmental sustainability and feelings and thoughts that sort of provoke your compassion towards people and planet and how we consume. And so, so uh, this is a bit of a historical question, but uh, but how did you get into it? What was sort of your entry point into into meditation and, and slower living? I'll be honest with you. So as a startup um, co-founder, you don't get a lot of sleep. 
Really? I know. Surprise. I, 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 hadn't, right? I hadn't noticed. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, I was having a lot of trouble sleeping and I found that meditation really helped calm my nerves at night and allowed me to just be more present and stop overthinking um, at a time where I really needed, my body needed sleep more than thinking. <laughs> and so that's how I kind of got into it. But over time, it's really developed into a lifestyle change for me. And it's something that I do on a daily basis, even if it's just for five minutes. And I, I truly feel that it has made a difference in how I view um, consumption. And I, I don't feel like I need to buy everything to live a life of abundance. And and so and so let's 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 dive into that sort of thought process there. Um, what how do you find yourself interacting with the world differently? What is the what are the what are the changes that you've experienced uh, during this journey? Yeah, that's a good question. I think in general, I'm finding myself to be a lot more calm. Again, as an entrepreneur, you're oftentimes walking into situations, meetings where you're just you feel unprepared and you don't know what to expect. And so I find myself going into a lot of those um, with a much more um, calm demeanor, which is helpful. <laughs> you don't want to walk in like a nervous wreck and all in shambles. And that's happened too. So it's <laughs> improved that for sure. And I think, in uh, you know, beyond that, it's it's really allowed me to just be more present. Um, in every conversation that I have or in, you know, every engagement that I have, I'm, I'm just a lot more there. Um, and I'm more appreciative of nature and um, just the outdoors world in general. May I ask a question? I want to go back to the meditation, but yes. I wanted to further clarify what the business is that you uh, conduct does like uh, are we talking about a storefront or are we talking about what are we talking about yeah so love talking about the business <laughs> <laughs> so we're both online as well as we have a space at CSI the Center for Social um, Innovation mm -hmm. and essentially it operates like a library and we offer two types of services so um, one service is a library membership and with the membership it starts at $30 and you're able to um, rent or borrow a certain number of items on rotation at, a, at, a, at any given time so you can borrow up to three items um, at a time for $30 a month. And that can range from like your everyday pieces um, to accessories, shoes, um, whatever have you. And then the second part of the service, if you're not looking for a membership on a recurring basis, is our occasions um, paper rent service. So if you just need something for a one-time special occasion and you don't want to mm -hmm. dish out hundreds of dollars on a dress, um, you guys would be surprised how much women's dresses uh, <laughs> really cost. I imagine. Okay, so you can't make any purchases here. No. Do you want to look uh, fly in any particular way for a certain occasion or for several weeks in a row? Yes. You come to you, get something awesome. Exactly. Return it. You got it. Nice. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it speaks really to this shift um, that that we've that we talked about a bunch uh, of ownership to access, right? Uh, and and how and how much society needs to get out of the idea of owning things, uh, and more into sort of you know the ability the ability to either have access to the things that you need at those particular times, or just sort of just uh, you know experiences as well. And I think that sort of does tie into this sort of thought of of, of what meditation and and sort of slower living can do, right? Mm -hmm. Like you reference this, you reference a couple times already. This sort of idea that it's changed your perception of what the good life is, um, and I think that that to me is 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 so important um, to to sort of fundamental that cultural shift of of what living well looks like uh, is is to me almost the 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 pillar that still holds up the society we currently live in and sort of keeps us holds us back from being more sustainable. Uh, is this idea that the good life has this other mission? So this is a bit of a big question. And, and feel free to sort of talk around it for a little bit. Um, uh, but to you, what is the good life? Like, what is the you know what is what is living well uh, in the in the in say in the twenty the twenty second century? 
Oh, that's a really good question, Stefan. That is a that is a quite a loaded question. Oh yes. And I think I'm still in the process of figuring out the answer to that. Um, it it kind of evolves every day for me. Um, I won't say I have the full answer right now, oh, but I, I I do think it it means for me personally, I do like having nice things, and I don't think it should take away from that. Um, you know, you should be able to access nice nice things, but at what cost? And you know, for me at this point, I would feel much happier and fulfilled in my life if I find that I still have access, but I'm not hurting the environment or the future of our planet. And so I think that really defines living well. It's, you know, being fulfilled without creating um, damage to our planet. And and so let's just take a, a bit of, a, of another side jump into into sort of what that damage to the planet looks like. Um, obviously, you know, whenever you get someone in I, I find this whole, one of the more interesting existences I find do, interviewing so many people and talking to people in the environmental field is that everyone is convinced that their industry is the worst. Mm-hmm. Every different indus- every single person is like, we are actually the most damaging industry besides oil. Um, and, and then occasionally there's like, we're actually more damaging than oil. And you're like, okay, I get it. Um, but like, there is a there's a kind of this 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 sort of uh, wide ranging belief system that every different industry is actually the worst industry. Um, but but and is and this is true even when we get when we get into fashion, especially true when we get into fashion. Um, and so so if you can lay out so maybe a little bit of the uh, a little bit of what the what does the fashion industry cost us? What are we what are we doing? Yeah, so I mean, going back to your point, uh, some studies have shown that fashion is the second largest polluting industry after <laughs> oil. Um, but you know, I think beyond that, like there's so many scary stats out there, Stefan, and um, I could read them all out to you, or some that I've come across. Um, like one is that you know we waste a truckload of textile every second, which wow, is insane. Wow. Um, and that one is one that kept me up one night, but the meditation definitely helped with that. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I, I think it. What it really helps with is when I first started delving into a lot of the research that's been done around the damaging impacts of fashion, it was overwhelmingly stressful. And you hear from other industry experts um, that, hey, you know, like you said, my industry is the most damaging or this and that. And you just as an individual, you think, how can I really make a difference? Like this is so overwhelming. And I think meditation helps overcome that overwhelmingness Mm. um, that a lot of these stats out there have. Yeah, yeah. Well, I will say that that is certainly a, a theme uh, more, more recently of, of of sort of this, not not even just you know of this. I, I think there's actually a, there's a developing a term for it almost for this sort of like this this dread or this 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 fear that exists within the people who are sort of paying attention, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get a, you get to a moment you're like yeah you, know, you see the destruction the fashionist is having or or you learn about you know even something even something innocuous almost like how much sand are we're losing you know like our if you want to be scared, go watch the documentary about sand that was released about a year ago, and and the people who are stealing sand out of deserts. It's it's wow. mind blowing, and then you don't are realize they stealing how, the sand because uh, it makes glass. Oh. Uh, it, and it's also in uh, it's also in uh, a lot of construction materials. You uh, have to steal it, though. Well, well, just because there's like it, there there are sand mines, but also people are sort of you oh, know yeah. are are also just taking it mm. um, because of that fact. And and I do feel like there's this overwhelming anxiety uh, that exists. You know, even I remember one of our shows right after Donald Trump got elected, we literally just brought on a therapist to, <laughs> to like talk to the audience because we're like, well, this is terrible, and yeah. it's not gotten better in the last two years. Um, um, Which is it, why, though, may I? Yeah, it comes. Um, in terms of the meditation, like if you're talking about 
wedding uh, environmental uh, thought or environmental appreciation or nature appreciation with meditation uh, in a time of uh, global ecosystem degradation? How How is it not like I'm becoming mindful and aware and peaceful, but peaceful and mindful about and of something that's disintegrating before our eyes. So like how can, how can how can the one become become peaceful and calming in the midst of the object of the meditation appears to be uh, disintegrating? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it, it kind of goes hand in hand. Like it can't be one or the other. One has to kind of promote and foster feelings and sensations of compassion and mindfulness towards the environment and, and just asking more questions, being more curious. But on the other hand, it can't be at a point where it stresses you out and overwhelms you, right? So it still has to have um, kind of a almost like a calming effect on you where, hey, okay, this is a problem. This is a situation. I can deal with this. Yeah, and and so as someone as you're clearly uh, as someone who's sort of like you know, entering this sort of this sort of journey or, or finding out, uh, what are the do you have any sort of suggestions as to way people can get into it? What's your sort of if you sort of had like say someone listens to the show and is like, oh man, that sounds like a, a good way to start 2019. You know, start 2019 being living slower, consuming less, uh, you know, reducing my impact while also sort of feeling better about 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 my about myself and, and the experience. How do, how do you sort of what's the first step? How does one get into the so whole thinking. I think um, one, maybe just kind of take a step back and look at your own assets and your own closet and your own, you know, belongings and, and kind of take a um, deeper step to really understand what, what impact am I personally having? Um, when it comes to the meditation side of it, you know, there are so many um, resources available. I, to be honest with you, started with just finding stuff on YouTube and would just kind of listen to that. Um, but there's a lot of really great podcasts as well. There's the Hay House. There's um, Tara Brosh, who's really awesome. So I would definitely recommend those. I think in 2019, what I want to be doing is um, bringing together experts because I'm by no means a meditation expert, <laughs> nor can I call myself an environmental sustainability expert. I'm myself on a journey right now. So I would like to bring those experts together. And I think the CSI community really helps with that because um, there are a lot of um, meditation instructors or there are a lot of um, people who um, are educating on environmental sustainability. So I would like to bring them together and have those conversations and and figure out as a coalition on how we can um, host these practices that are going to be beneficial to our community. How long have you been exploring meditation? Mm, I would say about two years. So mm. I'm, I'm a pretty um, amateur and beginner when it comes to it. How would you characterize the kinds of meditation that you've been looking at? Hmm. Um, it, like I, I think I mentioned, it started with like sleep type of, you know, relaxing, calming meditation. Um, and it's kind of evolved into just um, more awareness and connecting with like your higher self. Um, those have been the ones that I found to be really powerful. Hmm. And we're not talking about any particular tradition, though. No particular tradition. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Dave has uh, also is also into meditation, and so has Are sort you? of was probing to see if there was a there was a answer to that question. Mm. I imagine. So, what kind of meditation well, are you into? Um, again, I mean, perhaps not a specific uh, tradition, but uh, I've, I mean, in my experience and uh, mind, most of uh, what's become Western meditation has evolved out of either Hindu or Buddhist traditions, um, and so. When I when when you look at meditation classes, often they're very much about uh, the dissolution of the egotistically or worldly constructed self, which then allows a more natural and um, peaceful 
and real energy behind all of the rational constructions to then uh, dwell um, more presently. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, because if we're, if we're looking at it in terms of environmentalism, it seems to, it seems that would have to congeal into a very a more specific sort of thing, Genre. perhaps involving nature walks, perhaps involving um, sitting down in nature, perhaps involving hugging trees. I like that. <laughs> well, and I, and I think that I think that sort of what strikes me is about uh, as in what strikes me about this is sort of the the or the the marriage between these two sort of ideas of uh, really giving l- legitimate. Sort of ways to reduce consumption through sort of fresh the the, you know, the, the f- fresh rents in the fashion library, um, and then also sort of giving people sort of the tools to mentally sort of just you know remove themselves from their from their worldly possessions or the need to sort of have that as a part of the building up does seem like a uh, a, a two sided sort of uh, beginning towards a an attempt to sort of really really recreate a a, a shift, cultural shift towards slower living you know whether or not whether or not that slower living is is you know growing your own vegetables or or cooking or you know like the slow movement these slow movements that have come through that come out over the past you know 10 20 30 years um, you know obviously building on other traditions previously but uh, ha- I feel like has it, it, it speaks very much to this so sort of these so these two sides of this they feel like two sides of a very important maybe cultural shift that can be that can be seen yeah and I think like just having um, the fashion library as a business and operating it we found and we've learned that you can't just throw ideas at people and expect them to change their behavior um, (laughs) from like buying to renting especially when it comes to something as sensitive as your clothes Um, there has to be a greater mindset shift and there has to be a greater um, inner reflection and inner um, desire to change um, for the better and so you know for me again personally meditation has kind of helped with that and solidify um, this business and, and I'm hoping that you know we can kind of elevate that to other people as well. Amazing. So we're we're coming right up to the to the end of the end of our time here. So I want to give you an opportunity to a say anything else that you sort of wanted to get out, uh, and then b let uh, our listeners know where they can check out uh, the the fashion library or or find you online uh, and anything like that. Yeah, for sure. So um, we are located, like I said, at 192 Spadina. Have a um, Come visit us. Or you can find us online at freshfashionlibrary.com or visit our Insta at freshfashionlibrary. All right. Uh, thank you so much uh, to both Samia and, and Matt for their, for their excellent information uh, and, and for the visions of the future that feel, feel a little more positive. Um, whether or not, whether that is driving a little more sustainably uh, or taking everything a little more slowly, uh, both are welcome, I think, in this, in this time. Mm. Um, but that also, uh, it is now 11.59, which means that we are now at the end of our show. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, this has been the Green Majority on CUT 8.5 FM. We'll be back next week uh, with a little more news focused. Uh, we're we're thinking of we're we're going to be talking maybe a bit of the Green New Deal. Uh, we do have one more vision of the future that we'll uh, that we'll get to as well. Uh, and yeah, have a wonderful day, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all real soon.